It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Now this is the outrage of the day. Not even close. It's being called Grubgate and involves former Congresswoman Myra Flores. The Texas Tribune has a piece saying that she is accused of stealing stylish photos of Mexican campfire cooking and passing them off as her own idyllic life on a ranch. So, for example, she puts up a post uh, captioned, The ranch life with family is the best. And somebody found the image of the food there from a Facebook page titled Visit Guiana back in 2022. Here's another post from Flores. As a proud Latina who knows how to cook, homemade Mexican food tastes better from a gas stove using a photo of eggs and tortillas. But the Tribune says that was posted on Facebook in 2021 by a Spanish language magazine. So then there's a whole review of her Instagram, found more such um, culinary thefts, I guess you would say. Uh, One of them, with a photo of meat and tortillas on a grill, had the caption, Joe Biden is not invited. Okay, get a little politics in there. Now, her response to the Texas Tribune, Flores says, it wasn't her intention to mislead. The photo simply reminded me of my upbringing in Mexico and childhood. I deleted the tweet to clear up any confusion. I actually spend my Christmas at ranch with my in-laws. Happy New Year. Okay, but can you take pictures of your own cooking? All right. Uh, look at this. National Labor Relations Board charging Elon Musk's SpaceX with illegally firing eight employees because they were critical of the boss. They were terminated in 2022. I almost keep saying last year, but I've caught myself twice now. Uh, They circulated an open letter voicing concern about Musk's harmful Twitter behavior. The Labor Board accused SpaceX president of illegally restricting employees from circulating the letter and identified similar infractions by other executives and managers. Was this retaliatory behavior? Uh, I guess in the letter it says Elon's behavior in the public sphere is a frequent source of distraction and embarrassment for us, particularly in recent weeks. He is seen as the face of SpaceX, yeah, Every tweet that Elon sends is a de facto public statement by the company. All right, we'll see how that one turns out. This is a little twisted, but Pat McAfee of ESPN apologizing yesterday for airing comments that the New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers, who's been out this season with injuries, made toward Jimmy Kimmel on McAfee's uh, ESPN TV show, suggesting that the late-night comedian had a uh, connection 
to Jeffrey Epstein. And I'll come back to that name a little later. Some things obviously get people very pissed off about, especially when there are serious allegations, said McAfee. So we apologize for being a part of it. I can't wait to see what Aaron has to say about it. Hopefully the two will just be able to settle this. So during this show, Aaron Rodgers, four-time most valuable player in the NFL, said that the host of Jimmy Kimmel Live on ABC was acquainted with Epstein, was accused of having sex with minors. Well, Epstein was, of course, accused of having sex with minors. And there's a lot of people, Rogers said, including Jimmy Kimmel, really hoping that doesn't come out. Kimmel's response was to deny this and to say, your reckless words put my family in danger. Keep it up, and we will debate the facts further in court. And, oh, how, how do you get Aaron Rodgers to come on your show? McAfee confirming that Rodgers had been paid over $1 million to appear on the show. I'm assuming that's from more than one um, interview, but who knows? Who knew that uh, ESPN had so much money to throw around? Okay, story number one. It's taken a few days, but Donald Trump has now gone to the Supreme Court to appeal that ballot ban in Colorado, the one passed by the Colorado Supreme Court. All of its justices appointed by Democratic governors. Colorado says Trump's ineligible to even be on the ballot. So what does the former president's lawyers have to say about this? They want to, quote, return the right to vote for their candidate of choice to the voters. Now, everybody in the country seems to believe that the court will take this case, and that includes me. And obviously they have known, the nine justices have known that it's coming. So, could be today, could be tomorrow. It's really hard to imagine SCOTUS ducking this, given the importance to the country, given that the presidential election will turn on what the court does or does not do. In fact, in the uh, legal brief, the Trump team says if this court does not step in now, it risks millions of voters casting ballots for Trump in states where he appears on the ballot, only to find out later that he is disqualified. It said the Colorado decision was kind of an outlier. And then in this other case, which a former president had previously appealed to the Maine courts, they argue in the SCOTUS petition that Maine's Secretary of State, a Democrat, a Biden loyalist, has already used the Colorado proceedings as justification for unlawfully striking President Trump from that state's ballot. So, now remember that some Colorado voters of the Colorado GOP has already gone to SCOTUS. And they they don't say, uh, you know, that the court has to rule on whether or not Donald Trump was guilty of insurrection on January 6th. The only questions they raised are whether 
the 14th Amendment applies to former presidents and whether states can enforce that one section of the 14th Amendment without the passage of new federal legislation. Trump's lawyers say the first time in the history of the United States that the judiciary meeting in Colorado has prevented voters from casting ballots for the leading major party presidential candidate. So the New York Times story has a quote from a UCLA law professor who says the petition was a strong legal document that raises some serious, difficult questions. Uh, Good for the Times, some of whose members, I am sure, would be very happy to see Donald Trump banned from the ballot. Um, The petition said that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, we're all going to be legal scholars by the time this is over, did not apply to Trump because he hadn't taken the relevant kind of oath and that the presidency was not one of the offices from which oath-breaking officials were barred. Now, that gets into this um, sort of existential debate about what the founders intended in the 14th Amendment, not the founders, but the drafters of that amendment after the Civil War, I should say. And it doesn't specifically name the presidency, but it doesn't not name the presidency. So why would the amendment be seen to apply to everybody else except the President of the United States? But, you know, then you get into, well, let's look at the original text, and so on. Now, David French, a conservative writer who has an extraordinarily low opinion of the former president, has an op-ed in the New York Times, or a column, and it hits on an essential point, whether you agree with them or not. This is where we are and have now been for years, says French. The Trump movement commits threats, violence, and lies. And then it tries to escape accountability for those acts through more threats, more violence, and more lies. At the heart of the but the consequences argument against disqualification is a confession that if we hold Trump accountable for his fomenting violence on January 6th, he might foment additional violence now. Enough. It's time to apply the plain language of the Constitution to Trump's actions and remove him from the ballot without fear of the consequences. Republics are not maintained by cowardice. And he goes on to say that, look, the Constitution is undemocratic in certain ways because it erects guardrails about how far people can go and what they can do. The amendment's authors were worried that voters would send former Confederates, remember this is right after the Civil War, right back into public office. If they had believed that the American electorate was wise enough not to vote for insurrectionists, They never would have drafted Section 3. Meanwhile, what's happening on the campaign trail? Well, you know what? The other remaining candidates are being asked about Donald Trump. This is the world we live in. So here's Ron DeSantis at some kind of town hall. And a questioner says, why are you being so soft on Trump? And here's the governor's answer. I've articulated all the differences time and again on the campaign trail. I think the narrative is this. I think what the media wants is they want Republican candidates to just kind of like smearing personally and kind of do that. That's not how I roll. And the man said, no, 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 that's not what he was saying. 
uh, DeSantis went on to say that Donald Trump has been his own worst enemy. Now let's go to Nikki Haley. The Trump campaign has put up an ad in New Hampshire, which is her strongest early state. You would think it would be South Carolina, but there, I mean, she's trailing in both states, but New Hampshire comes first, after Iowa, of course. In any event, the Trump ad accuses her of raising gas taxes when she was governor. And Haley has now started to address this without anybody asking about her, about the ad. Four different appearances in New Hampshire over two days. She says, I have seen the commercials you see. I've seen the little temper tantrums that he's thrown. And let me tell you this. There's not one bit of it that's truthful. I never once signed or would have signed a tax increase in South Carolina. Now, what did happen, according to the governor, is that she proposed a gas tax increase to help fix the state's roads, but she coupled that with an income tax cut to offset it, and then the plan was never approved, and Haley promised to veto a standalone gas tax increase. And if he wants to talk about raising taxes, says Nikki Haley, in 2018, he proposed one on all of us, a 25-cent gas tax increase. So now, you know, ordinarily, these, the, this is the focus of the campaign. You raise taxes. No, you raise taxes. No, you favored the rich. Um, but obviously, this is the most unusual campaign of our lifetimes. And just as obviously, while we do get to some bread and butter issues, the border, inflation, and so on, it just always seems to revolve around Trump. And you'll notice that now the media are no longer talking about Trump saying illegal immigrants are poisoning our blood. No longer talking about his Christmas letter in which he tells Jack Smith to rot in hell. He's, con he's controlled the dialogue, something he did when he was in New York and when I was a reporter in New York since the beginning. Hasn't campaigned as much as the others, but doesn't have to. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Story two, Claudine Gay, the ousted president of Harvard, has an op-ed in the New York Times, whose news section has been pretty tough on her, especially once the plagiarism allegations started to bubble up. So this is the day after her resignation on Tuesday. Uh, and it's kind of... Personal, my character and intelligence have been impugned. My commitment to fighting anti-Semitism has been questioned. Uh, let me just stop there. I wonder why. My inbox has been flooded with invective, including death threats. I've been called the N-word more times than I care to count. 
My hope is that by stepping down, I will deny demagogues the opportunity to further weaponize my presidency. And then she says what she should have said a while ago. Yes, I made mistakes. In my initial response to the atrocities of October 7th, I should have stated more forcefully what all people of good conscience know. Hamas is a terrorist organization that seeks to eradicate the Jewish state. More forcefully, you didn't state it at all. You ducked it. You wouldn't say whether or not this was acceptable on the campus of Harvard University. I fell into a well-laid trap at that Hill hearing, she said. I neglected to clearly articulate that calls for genocide of Jewish people are abhorrent and unacceptable, and I would use every tool at my disposal to protect students. But, you know, this isn't like a rhetorical misstep where you didn't use the right adjective. You wouldn't do it. You apologize the next day, but you wouldn't do it. Most recently, the attacks have focused on my scholarship. My critics found instances in my academic writings where some material duplicated other scholars' language without proper attribution. I believe scholars deserve full and appropriate credit for their work. When I learned of these errors, I promptly requested corrections from the journalists. I have never misrepresented my research findings, nor have I ever claimed credit for the research of others. So, this is a woman who is a plagiarist. And I know from covering many stories involving journalistic plagiarists going back decades that they never do it once. There's always a pattern. And that has been the case with Claudine Gay. And, you know, to just say without proper attribution, it's called stealing somebody else's words. It's, it's among the most serious academic offenses. And she kind of lets herself off the hook here, as the Harvard board tried to until the evidence became overwhelming. And remember, she hadn't published that many papers. And uh, this, you know, whatever you want to call it, I call it theft. This plagiarism took place in about half of her published papers. So I don't understand why the New York Times... I'm not saying they shouldn't have run the piece. I'm not saying that at all. She has a right to be heard. But they let, her, they let a plagiarist say, I am not a plagiarist, and it's just it's not true. And then, speaking of her critics, they recycled tired racial stereotypes about black talent and temperament. They pushed a false narrative of indifference and incompetence. Okay. So, as I mentioned in a column today, this is the counter-narrative that's developing. Here's a tweet from the AP. Later changed after an absolute backlash. Harvard president's resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges, plagiarism. So with that one tweet, later softened, it's the conservatives that are to blame. Uh, plagiarism isn't something that can get any student expelled from any college or university. It is simply a weapon. And this is a theme in many different pieces. Here's a political headline. How the right toppled Harvard's president. And then you get into the whole racial animus question that Gay herself raised in her resignation later. Now look, 
I couldn't feel more strongly about this. Claudine Gay was not pushed out by the university's board because she was Harvard's first black president. If anything, she lasted as long as she did because of her race. Because you had the same situation with Elizabeth McGill, the president of UPenn, who resigned within days, and she is a white woman. And so, this whole notion, yes, there was the Washington Free Beacon, a conservative publication, and a conservative activist named Christopher Rufo, who, after the first several rounds of plagiarism accusations were leveled against Claudine Gay, came up with new ones, including that she had plagiarized her own student dissertation back in 1997. But you can't blame this on the conservative movement. There are a number of Democrats who thought the failure to condemn anti-Semitism at that House hearing was outrageous and said so publicly. So I've given you her side, and I've given you my side. And by the way, Elise Stefanik, Republican congresswoman who conducted the most aggressive questioning at that hearing, she has understandably been taking some credit. Maybe Saturday Night Live ought to go back and do a new skit because when this first broke, the Elise Stefanik character was just mocked as this out-of-control ogre. And, you know, the university presidents, as portrayed by the comedians, eh, a little confused, but certainly didn't do anything serious, except two of the three are now gone. Story three. This piece leads off with, this is about illegal migrants. And Melissa McMahon says uh, in the Washington Post that she is a city council member in a suburb north of Chicago, saw a Texas license plate, and the passengers were about 30 families of asylum seekers, mostly from Venezuela. She grabbed her phone and dialed the police chief. These people have no hats, no gloves, no nothing. Bring me what you can. This was one of several buses sent by Texas officials, by Governor Greg Abbott in recent days, to areas outside Chicago and New York. And this is interesting. Since the summer of 22, some 636 buses have arrived in Chicago alone, which combined with uh, plane arrivals has pushed the uh, population of asylum seekers to more than 29,000. So both Chicago and New York City under Eric Adams passed laws or rules saying you can't come in on buses to our city without meeting certain requirements. So the folks in Texas just get around it by sending them, for example, in the New York area to New Jersey, where they're put on trains and they get into the city that way. Meanwhile, Speaker Mike Johnson and about 60 other Republicans at the border yesterday telling reporters negotiations are still ongoing. We hope to get the agreements and we get the appropriations bills done. This is, of course, the Republicans' insistence on the Biden administration doing certain things in order to free up money for military aid to Ukraine and Israel. Um, 
Johnson goes on to say, we've crossed the threshold of $34 trillion in debt. Unmanageable. Would have been unmanageable to previous generations. I agree. But both parties play a role in that. That $34 trillion didn't just pop up this week. That is an accumulation of debt during Democratic and Republican administrations. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Okay, story four. Since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the people in that war-touring country have had access to a single source of television news. In other words, all the individual television networks had to combine forces, as ordered by the Ukrainian government. An all-day broadcast, says the New York Times, packed with footage of Ukrainian tanks blasting Russian positions, medics operating near the front line, political leaders rallying support abroad. It's called Telemarathon United News, major tool of Ukraine's information war. It's a weapon, says Vladimir Zelensky, who has a background in television. But Ukrainians have now grown weary of telemarathon. What was once seen as a critical tool for holding the country together is now increasingly derided as little more than a mouthpiece for the government. Viewers have complained that the program often paints too rosy a picture of the war, hiding worrying developments on the front line and the West's eroding support for Ukraine, ultimately failing to prepare citizens for a long war. Um... One media to monitoring organization, the head of that group, says it's state propaganda. I think in retrospect that has turned out to be a bad move. Meanwhile, no one can quite figure out what has happened in Iran where two explosions at a memorial for former top general Qasem Soleimani killed at least 103 people, wounding an additional 211 people. Placed in bags along the road to a cemetery and exploded as a vast procession of people made their way to commemorate the fourth anniversary of Suleiman's death. Suleimani, excuse me. And he had been killed at that time by an American drone strike. And now there's all this finger pointing. No one's taking responsibility. Iranian government officials blame the U.S. and Israel. International intelligence experts and analysts said the attack bore the hallmark of terrorist groups, not Israel. It's tragic. A lot of people died. I'm not a fan of Iran, obviously, but you look at it and it does seem like a classic terror terror attack. Certainly not something that the United States would do or countenance. Story five, even though I have it here at the tail end, is a really important shift for Joe Biden's campaign. Tomorrow, near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, he was going to do this on Saturday, which of course is the anniversary of January 6th, but snowstorm is heading there, so now it's been moved up to tomorrow afternoon. And he is going to, according to advanced leaks, 
take a more aggressive posture toward Donald Trump, and he's going to center the election on a fight for democracy. So instead of talking about Bidenomics, instead of talking about the infrastructure bill I passed, all of which is looking back at his first term, he is going to try to make Donald Trump the issue. Obviously, his campaign needed a reset. This is what they've come up with. Uh, The incumbent president's polls have been absolutely abysmal, especially, as I mentioned uh, a day or two ago, losing to Trump among Hispanics, losing to Trump among young voters. And while still carrying a majority of black voters, a 24% decline from the 2020 election. So on Monday, he'll then go to Charleston, where nine people were killed by a white supremacist in a church there. And Kamala Harris will go to South Carolina as well. This will signal a reinvigorated campaign. Well, we'll see about that. Comes at a moment when Democrats are worried for their own political futures because of Joe Biden. Biden campaign manager, Julie Chavez Rodriguez, telling reporters our message is clear and simple. We are running a campaign like the fate of our democracy depends on it, because it does. Now, I remember in the final weeks of the 2022 midterms, Biden went to Philly, gave a speech about democracy and all the pundits, and I think I lean this way too. That's not what people want to hear right now. They want to hear about the economy. They want to hear about the border. They want to hear about, you know, things that make a difference in their daily lives. But Biden's strategy was correct. And the red wave didn't materialize. And the Democrats hung on to the Senate and lost the House by a few seats. But that was then. And now we have Trump as a full-fledged candidate. Now we have Trump battling four indictments and being kicked off state ballots. And if anything, things are even more polarized than they had been. Now, a bonus story. I had thought this was going to be huge, and in certain publications it is. And that is the release of these documents related to the odious and reprehensible comment uh, conduct of the late Jeffrey Epstein, who died in jail almost five years ago now. This is all part of a civil suit settled some time ago by Virginia Jufri. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I used to know all these names backwards and forwards. Who accused Epstein and his partner, Ghislaine Maxwell, of coercing her to have sex with Epstein and others when she was 16 years old. That suit was settled. But we don't learn much new from this document. Um, For example... We already knew that, according to this formerly young woman, Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, directed her to have sex with Prince Andrew, which the prince has always denied. That case has been settled. She was also told to have sex with billionaire Glenn Dubin, model scout Jean-Luc Brunel, AI researcher Marvin Minsky, directed to give a massage to former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, all he got was a massage. I shouldn't make light of it. Um, and in an email 
to Ghislaine, his sometimes girlfriend. Epstein tells her to issue a reward to any friends or family members who'd be willing to discredit her accusations. Now, the names you know about is basically the same stuff you've been hearing about for years. One document says Epstein forced an underage girl to have sex with Trump lawyer Alan Dershowitz on numerous occasions. Dershowitz has gone on TV a hundred times to deny this. Also, some prominent American politicians, powerful business executives, well-known prime minister. This is according to HuffPost, but I'm not seeing those names yet. One document alleges that Epstein once told one of his accusers, Johanna Joburg, I believe, that Bill Clinton likes them young, referring to girls. Uh, Very embarrassing for President Clinton, but it doesn't prove that he had sex with anybody, nor is there any proof that Donald Trump, a close friend of Epstein, had sex with anybody. Clinton did ride on Epstein's private plane, and so did a lot of people. Um, this woman, this other accuser, Joburg, also identifies magician David Copperfield, friend of Epstein's, and said he asked her if she was aware that girls were getting paid to find other girls. She also overheard Epstein on the phone saying he needed to find some girls in Hawaii for celebrity hairstylist Frederick Fakai. You know, um, obviously it's a, a, a tawdry story. It's a tragic story. Obviously there was a lot of sex provided sometimes by Epstein's, as I said, occasional girlfriend uh, to friends, to potential clients. But so much of this has dribbled out over the years that I'm not sure there's a, there's a powerful news value here. If other things come out about prominent people, you know, I'll include it. But I just think it's kind of a bust because it's not new news. And new news is what the news business is supposed to be about. Well, that was quite a journey from the uh, top of the podcast. Glad to have you along for the ride. Hey, we'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.